First Corinthians 12, 12 through 27. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, good morning. So fun to have you this morning. Thanks for being with us. A few years ago, I, uh, I got a gym membership at the YMCA, which is why I'm so radically buff today. And, uh, and, and, and one of the reasons why I chose the gym, this specific gym, there is a lot of other options out there. But if you look at all of the benefits that came with being a member at the Y, I mean, it was amazing. They had an indoor pool. They had really fancy equipment. Uh, you could even like drop your kids off and have childcare with safe workers while you and your spouse go do your thing and get your gym stuff on. So it was just like all the benefits were there and it was close to my house and affordable. And then also to find out later that actually the Y gives back to the community. They actually take some of the money that you spend on your membership, and a lot of that funnels right back into the community. And so for me, it was like, man, this is great. They're doing good work in the city, and I get kind of what I want, and the the benefits and the features are better than some of the other options out there. So I jumped on in. And here's the great thing about having a membership at the Y. The second you find a better, cheaper option, or if in my scenario, like you just didn't want to go anymore, then the solution was just like bounce out and it doesn't matter. You can, you can bow out and either, you know, remove your membership and not go anywhere or just go somewhere else that fits with what you really want. Now, the reason I, I share that is because that approach of how we find a gym in Oklahoma, if we're not careful, 
is often how we start to identify and find our church. It's kind of how we connect to uh, various local churches in our area. It's this idea of like, well, the benefits have to outweigh the negatives, and I'm going to Ben Franklin sheet this thing out, and, and if I can have the church that has the, the preaching that I like and the singing that I like and all the various ministries that I want, then that culture of consumerism that is just in the air that we breathe can often shape and function how we design and how we craft and how we pursue certain churches. And this is really, really common. It's not, in Oklahoma, it's not all the time that we don't love the church, but sometimes even our love for the church is really based on what can you do for me? Uh, There's a great book that C.S. Lewis wrote. If you've never read this, it's called The Screwtape Letters, and I highly, highly recommend it. Uh, In this book, what he's doing is he's, he's writing as if he's an older demon who is discipling a younger demon. And he's teaching him how to ruin the faith of a young Christian. And in that book, he talks about this reality of consumeristic Christianity. He says this, he says, Surely you know that if a man can't be cured of church going, the next best thing is to send him all over the neighborhood looking for the church that suits him until he becomes a taster or a connoisseur of churches. The search for a suitable church makes the man a critic where the enemy, in this story is God, wants him to be a pupil. This is really, really true of what it's like to be a follower of Jesus in Oklahoma with all of the options that are out there. And here's why we talk about this. Because every year around this time in June, what we do is we just press pause on whatever it is we're doing, whatever it is that we're preaching through, and we take one solid Sunday and really the whole month of June to just process what it means to be a member of the local church. What does it mean as a follower of Jesus? And maybe you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus. Uh, This will be an insightful way for you to really wrestle with if I become a Christian What's at stake? What's on the line for me? So this is one of the things that we do every year where we look at our membership and our covenant to the church and we just have honest, hard conversations with ourselves and with each other. Where am I at with this? Where am I at with membership in the local church? And what we're going to do is give you a chance to renew, if you're a member, to give you a chance to renew your covenant membership here at Frontline, to ask questions, to wrestle, and almost just put your heart back on the table when it comes to the local church. But... If you and I aren't careful, then the air that we breathe and the the culture that we're swimming in is really going to shape the way that we approach this whole conversation. So what I want to do is I just want to press pause and I want to give you just a biblical vision of God's heart behind this thing that we call church membership. That's where we're headed. And by the way, some of you are here and you're kind of not really concerned about what it is to be a member of the church. You're just wrestling if you really want to jump back in because your story is you've been hurt by the church You've been beat up a little bit. And if you're anything like me, my experience, I grew up in church and some of the best experiences of my life have been in the church. And also some of the most painful moments of my life have been in the church. So I just want to say, if you're here and your church hurt, I understand that. I get that. And actually that's why I love 1 Corinthians 12 because the guy who wrote this, the Apostle Paul, was at one time in his life very, very concerned with the credibility of the local church. In fact, before the Apostle Paul became the Apostle Paul, he was Saul, a Jewish man in the first century who was hell-bent on destroying this thing called the church. He was concerned about this person called Jesus. He was concerned about the movement of Christianity. So he did everything in his power to be a terrorizer, to be a persecutor, to shut down the early church. And then what happened is he encountered the risen Jesus 
And as he encountered the risen Jesus, his view not only of Jesus changed, but his view of the local church changed. And he goes from being Saul, the persecutor of the church, to having this radical transformation. Now he's Paul, the church planter. He's trying to kill the church, and then he transitions to now planting churches all over uh, modern-day Turkey and all over the Roman Empire. So this is important to hear from a guy that at one point was really concerned with the credibility of the church, and now he's all about the local church. And in 1 Corinthians 12, in that text that we just read together, he introduces a metaphor for what it is to be the church that I think is one of the most helpful shaping metaphors for how we relate to the church. And it's the body of Christ. So, 1 Corinthians 12. Look at it with me. Look at verse 12. He says, For just as the body is one, the human body is one, and it has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Listen to this. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. And all were made to drink of one spirit. And, and what Paul is saying here is so incredible because he's, he's talking about this reality that when Jesus saves a person, he doesn't just save them from sin. He doesn't just pull them out of their sin, but he actually saves them into something else. He saves them into the body of Christ. He saves them not just from sin and death and hell, but he saves them into this completely new way of seeing themselves in the church, where if you have a real relationship with Jesus, you're also, by defect, by, by, by uh, kind of a counterproduct of that, you're going to have a relationship with the church. And so he talks about this idea of membership. And when you and I think of membership, we think of, you know, this card-carrying thing that we have with our gym, and he's not talking about membership that way. He's talking about the same way that your arm is a member of your body— the same way that your foot or your kidneys or your eyes are members of your body, that's how it is now with you and I in the church. We were that connected, not just to Jesus, but we are that connected to each other. So in light of that, I just want to give you quickly three things for what this really means, this body of Christ metaphor and how we flesh this thing out. So here's the first thing. Church membership, the first thing I want you to see, I want you to see it as counterculture. I want you to see church membership as counterculture. One of the reasons why having this conversation is really difficult is because the air that we're breathing in as a culture is one where the highest values are freedom and autonomy and self-expression and self-definition. Like you just get to be who you want to be and you get to pursue what you want to pursue. And if anything is going to restrict you, If anything's going to hold you back, if anything's going to hold you down or tell you that you're wrong or tell you no, then you've got to run as fast and as far away as you can. That the highest values that we want as a culture, just to have the freedom to be who we want to be and pursue what we want to pursue and have nobody hold us back, nobody tell us that what we're doing is wrong or unhelpful or whatever. And yet what's so crazy about this metaphor of the body of Christ is it's so countercultural. It rubs against everything that our culture values, and it says things like this. Look at, look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. 
So no longer in the church can we look at each other and say, yeah, it's just me and Jesus and we're riding off in the sunset and we're doing just fine. Actually, if you are a follower of Jesus, there's nothing about that where you can look at another follower of Jesus and say, I have no need of you. I'm doing just fine on my own. Look at this. Look how connected we are in verse 26. He says, if one member suffers, what happens? All suffer together. And I love this. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. We are so connected together that if one of us in this room as a follower of Jesus is suffering, then there's this sense as family, as this body metaphor, where we are all suffering together too. And if one of us is rejoicing and everything is going great, there's this sense in which we're all able to step in and rejoice together as well. And this is what I think is so bizarre about this. It's this idea that you and I are just these free-floating individuals out there that are free to do whatever it is that we want. We're disconnected. We're autonomous. That's totally blown up by this idea of the body of Christ. We are now so connected and dependent on one another that you are a foot or a hand or an arm or a kidney, and we cannot properly function without you. This is incredible. Now, this idea actually is pretty uh, against even what a lot of us grew up with and a lot of us, how we relate and how we treat the early church or how we treat the local church. So what I want to do is just show you a picture of, I think, what often happens with the way that we, we function as Christians. Now, granted, this picture is a little outdated. If you're not sure, I think that's a Palm Pilot. If you remember those, do you remember those? So the picture on the left is often how we think of ourselves. I'm an individual and I've got my hobby and my calendar and my job and my to-do list and my uh, free time and my church. And I'm just kind of juggling those various responsibilities. I'm an individual, and, and these are the various things that I have going on in my life. And, and I've got to find the time to do each one of these things. I've got to fit into my schedule, you know, Sunday church, if, if it works. And I've got to fit into my schedule, my hobby, and whatever. And that's often the way that we relate. But what Paul is actually saying is we're more like this picture on the right side where instead of being this individual that's juggling church among other things, actually you are so connected to Jesus and so connected to the local church that you live out of that identity as a Christian in the church. And everything you do, you go to your job, you, you, you spend time with your family, your recreation, your play, your hobbies, all of that other stuff, it's funneling out of this reality that I have been not just saved from something, but I've been saved into the body of Christ. Does that make sense? That is, if you would actually embrace this, it would radically change your approach to how you relate to the church. So it's countercultural. I think part of the reason why we need to just uh, say that up front is because there's already in us just the sensitivity to commitment. We're almost commitment averse And we have to just bring this up on the table that to follow Jesus is not to follow Jesus in isolation. The New Testament has no idea what that even means. It's to be a follower of Jesus that's radically connected to the church. So if that's true, and I really believe it is, then what does that mean? Why do we need to be connected to the church? What's the benefit? What's the point? What's the big deal? Well, here's the second thing I want you to see. It's not just counterculture, but I want you to realize that church membership is transformational. Church church membership is transformational. Uh, I recently read some Barna research. If you're not familiar with Barna, they're a researching group out there that basically tracks trends 
and what's happening for people that profess to be followers of Jesus. And one of the really interesting trends is there are people that are saying they're followers of Jesus, but they're attending church regularly less and less. In fact, most people attend uh, sporadically or rarely or only occasionally. So Barna was trying to figure out what's behind that. Why are people attending church less and less? You know, most people would say that they're radically committed to their local church and attend one or two times a month. So why is that a trend? And what they found out as they did this research is that most people said the reason they don't attend regularly is because they practice their faith in other ways or they worship on their own. So there's this idea that's kind of implicit in that, that the, early, or that, the, that the local church is optional to my health and my growth as a follower of Jesus. I can be a follower of Jesus, and I can, I can, I can you know, continue to grow in my love for him and continue to mature and develop over time and not wake up 20 years from now and be the same person. I can continue to do that, and the church is optional. Maybe it's a few of us at Starbucks. Maybe, if, maybe it's just me you know, occasionally reading my Bible or praying throughout the week. I don't really need the body of Christ. But here's what I want to say to that, that actually the metaphor of the body of Christ doesn't even give us the option to say that. Think about your own human body for just a second. We intuitively understand this with our own body. If you were to chop off your arm and throw it off in the corner, your arm would not thrive. Your arm would not get health. It would not have the the nutrients flowing from the head and the blood system and all of that. Your, Your arm would wither and die. And yet somehow we intuitively understand this with the human body, and yet there's a disconnect as we think about the body of Christ because what Paul is saying is you are so united to Jesus and his church that you are that connected now. If you were to cut yourself off from the church, then you can't get the life and the health and the nourishment and and the, and the, the growth that's supposed to happen. You actually need the church for transformation to take place. And he picks the, this, the same idea up, not just in 1 Corinthians 12, but also in Ephesians chapter 4. So let me read this to you. This is in Ephesians 4 verse 15. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Who is the head? Into Christ. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Look at this. When each part is working properly, what happens? Makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. In order for you to grow up into Jesus, in order for you to experience transformation, not just modification of your behaviors, but true transformation from the inside out, in order to experience that, you don't just need this isolated relationship with Jesus. Jesus is connecting you to the local church. And it's inside of that that you begin to grow. It's inside of that that you begin to change. It's inside of that 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 transformation process starts to unfold. Now, there's probably a lot of reasons why that's the case, but I want to give you at least two reasons why I think that it really is important that we do this together as the church. The first is that you and I tend to always think that we're better than we truly are. Can I get an honest amen from anybody? We, we just think that we're better than we really are. Um, Let let me explain it like this. Do you remember the time in your life when you, for the first time, heard your voice on like a recording? And you're like, oh my gosh, do I really talk like that? That sounds weird. I don't, like, people hear me that way? Yes, everybody hears you that way. Or have you ever had the moment where you see yourself on an iPhone video, but from like a different angle? You're like the back of the head, and you're like, I look weird. 
you know, and I walk weird and I, my, my gestures are, I'm just a weird person. Does that ever happen to you? Like, I don't, I don't really look like that. Yes, you really do look like that. And everybody experiences you that way. But you tend to hear yourself a certain way. You, you tend to see yourself a certain way. And the same is true on a soul level in the context of your walk with Jesus. You tend to think, man, I'm a really loving person. I'm like basically really moral and I treat everybody with respect and I don't have a quick temper and I'm, I'm just a kind-hearted person. And then you like interact with any other human being. You're like, I am a terrible person. What is happening? And all of a sudden that exposes who you really are. For me, this really was felt when I got married, right? Some of you, you're like, it just took a roommate. Well, for me, I had roommates and was doing okay, but I got married and three weeks in, I was like, I am going to hell. I don't know what's going on. I like, I'm a horrible person. What is going on? And I started to realize just the, the tendencies and the, the selfishness and all this stuff started surfacing in ways that I never realized. The same is true in the local church, right? I love these words from Ronald Rollheiser. He says, what church community takes away from us is our false freedom to soar unencumbered like the birds, believing that we are mature, loving, committed, and not blocking out things that we should be seeing. Real church going soon enough shatters this illusion and it gives us no escape. As we find ourselves constantly humbled, as our immaturities and lack of sensitivity to the pain of others are reflected off eyes that are honest and unblinking. We actually need each other. This body of Christ idea that when we were saved, we weren't just saved from something, we were saved into the body of Christ. And now we are so connected that as we do this thing called life together with Jesus, we begin to see some things about ourselves that otherwise we wouldn't have seen. So we need each other. We often think we're better than we really are. Second reason why I think we need this sense of community, this reality of community, is because you and I can't follow the majority of what Jesus calls us to as an isolated individual. Sometimes people will say, well, why do I need the church? Like I, I can love people at work or I can do, but if you just think about the sheer volume of the one another commands in scripture, I think what you'll realize is that this is not just something you can do on your own time in your own way, picking and choosing your own community. The one another commands of scripture are overwhelming. And I do this a lot, but I'm going to keep doing this because we're not like excelling at this. So, you know, as, as one of your pastors, this is just one of my jobs is to put this in front of you again and again and again. I want you just to examine some of these one another commands. Be at peace with each other. Wash one another's feet. We don't have time to unpack what that's all about. Uh, love one another. 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 Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourselves. Live in harmony with one another. Next slide. Love one another. Stop passing judgment on one another. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you. Instruct one another. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Some of you like that. Some of you are weirded out. Again, we don't have time. Uh, When you come together to eat, wait for each other. Have equal concern for each other. And on and on. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. Next slide. 59. One another commands. These are things that like, can I just point out the obvious? When I'm at home by myself in sweatpants watching Netflix, I kill it at all of these, right? I'm like, yeah, I love everybody. Life's great. This is easy. It's when I get in the context of community that this becomes a real challenge. 
And it's hard. It's actually, it's actually not just hard. It's impossible to follow Jesus and all the fullness that he calls us to follow him if you're unwilling to also step in and commit to the local church and do this thing with real people in a real place in this room. This is what you and I are being invited into. Think of the, think of the, the, the local church like a, a greenhouse where you can grow and you can get sanctified and you can change, Right? So it's countercultural for sure, but it's really there for transformation. Here's the last thing I want you to see. I want you to see church membership as covenant. Church membership as covenant. Now, that word covenant's not really thrown around in our culture very often. Most of us don't have a helpful working definition. Um, so what I want to do is just kind of help you understand the nature of what that means. Like the way that the early church saw this wasn't just like a picking and choosing of their community. They really saw this as a, a deep, profound sense of commitment to the body of Christ. Uh, in fact, what we even see is the early church having a database where they kept names. I think of 1 Timothy chapter 5, where the Apostle Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, hey, Timothy, uh, you have elderly ladies in your church that have lost their husbands, their widows. To be a widow in that cultural context was, you were on the verge of poverty. You had nobody to provide for you. There wasn't like a 401k or retirement plan or government assistance. So the early church saw a need, the most vulnerable people in their society, and they had a plan in place that was based on this church covenant. They had a plan in place to care for one another and walk with one another based on even their database that they had. So Paul tells Timothy, he says, hey, look at your role, your church role, and identify who the, the widows are identify which ones are a certain age, and then I want you to financially care for them and provide for them. And so here's the point of having a church database. Here's the point of having a church role. It isn't so that you can just compile a bunch of names and get names by the thousands and then shove it in a drawer somewhere and then submit it to, you know, once a year to all these churches and brag about how big your church role is. Can I just point out, we at Frontline have no desire to do that. We are not wanting to do that. What we want is a real database with real information, not just so that we can have that, but so that that results in care of you. Because what happens in a covenant is you are coming in and you are saying, yes, these people, these are my pastors. And we as your pastors are saying, yes, these are the people that we are covenanting before God to walk with, to care for, to, to serve, to pray, to, to meet with. These are the people that we're trying to do life together. And then the, the, the whole of us, we're covenanting to each other to walk out all of the different uh, realities that we're called to, all of, all of the different things of what it is to, to be a follower of Jesus, these one another commands in scripture. So think of covenant more like this. Don't think of this legal term, Think of it like this story. One of my favorite stories of all time is uh, from The Odyssey. Did anybody read The Odyssey like you're required in high school? Some of you, it's a wonderful, wonderful book. And there's a scene in that story that was so monumental to me, I got it tattooed on me because it was just such a beautiful scene. And it's the part of the story where Odysseus, who's kind of the, the hero of the story, he's on this long journey back home, and it's a perilous journey. And he gets warned before he uh, gets in his boat and sails home, he gets warned that he's going to cross these sirens. And these sirens are going to be singing beautiful, beautiful music. They're going to be singing beautiful music. However, if you get too close, the sirens will grab you. And they're actually horrible beasts that will dash your body against the rocks. And they were eating sailors. And so Odysseus is warned about these sirens. But he has this thing inside of him where he doesn't want to die 
but he wants to hear the music. And so he comes up with this idea where he puts wax in the ears of the sailors. And as they're sailing by, what he decides to do is he says, hey, tie me to the mast. And as we go by, I want to be able to hear them sing. And if I start to break free because I want to swim over to them, tie me tighter. Tie me tighter. Bind me tighter. And so that's exactly what happens. The sailors, they, they sail by and he hears the music and he struggles and he's trying to break free. And the sailors tie him tighter and they tie him tighter. That is one of the most beautiful pictures of what a covenant is all about. Let me explain it like this. You and I are like living in this world and it's perilous, isn't it? And we have these sirens, and I can't speak for you, but for me, the sirens of the world are singing out to me and they're, they're telling me certain things about money. They're telling me certain things about sex. They're telling me certain things about pleasure and possessions. They're telling me certain things about how to live and where the good life is found. And these sirens, are, they're calling out to me. And if I'm honest, there are moments and days where I know that I don't want to die, but I want to go to those sirens. And yet those things that the world is singing, those things that the world is inviting us into and calling out, actually, even though they sound beautiful, it leads to death. It leads to death as we walk away from Jesus. And what church covenant does for me is when I struggle to break free, the, the, the men and women in this room and the pastors on our team, they're just tying me tighter to Jesus. They're tying me tighter and tighter. And as I struggle, I'm, I'm getting tied tighter. That's what it means to be a, a covenant member of a local church. It's not just giving you the freedom to bounce from the body of Christ whenever you want and do whatever you want. It's giving you this reality where people can come into your life and say no, to say stop, to say don't, and then to help you grow and be there when you need. Again, Ronald Roheiser says, church involvement when understood properly does not leave us the option to walk away whenever something happens that we do not like. It is a covenant commitment like a marriage and binds us for better or for worse. Now, that doesn't mean that like, you know, if you become a member of Frontline, you're stuck for the rest of your life. We got you. It's not what that means. But it is this weight that it's way more like a marriage than it is just this flippant signing your name on the dotted line and then moving on when you don't like. This is a really, really big deal. So where do we go from here? Well, let me just give you a few things. If you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, then next week, you're going to get an email. If you're a member of Frontline Church, you're going to get an email that hits your inbox and you have a chance to renew your covenant membership with Frontline. Now, let me just say this. Like, um, you could do that briefly, quickly. It'll take you about two minutes to do. But what I'm asking you to do is not just breeze through that process. What I'm asking you to do is when you get that email, when you go through that process, to actually use that as a chance to put your heart back on the line and say, Jesus, I'm giving you and this church my life. I'm giving you and your church my heart. And I actually want this to be a, 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 a chance for you to have a spiritual time with Jesus as you're processing, am I actually carrying out the one another commands of Scripture? Am I doing the things that I covenanted to do? Am I regularly serving? Am I sacrificially giving? Am I, am I walking out these one another commands that Jesus calls me to? I want you to see church membership as a spiritual practice that you can build into your life. Just like prayer and Bible reading that matters a whole lot for your love for Jesus. Love the words of Mark Sayers. He says, in an age that encourages maximum autonomy and the transgressing of limitations, perhaps we need to see the institution of church as a spiritual discipline. 
We get the idea that making the choice to wake up early and read our Bibles or to commit to regularly giving away our money to a charity or to fast may not always feel pleasurable, but in the discipline of these things, we become more Christ-like. Yet we expect church to always be pleasurable, enriching, exciting. Maybe the limitations of church, the discipline of regular attendance, the commitment it requires also also teach us to be Christ-like. Maybe we need to reimagine church in our minds as a spiritual discipline, which teaches us the value of delayed gratification, of personally investing in change, of becoming more like Jesus. So if you're a covenant member at Frontline, that's what we're asking you to do. Yes, fill it out quickly. Yes, knock that thing out. But do this with your heart on the table, offering yourself again to Jesus and to his church. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're not a member of Frontline, then you can sign up for a membership class that we have coming up in August. First Saturday in August, we're going to have a membership class. And, you, and that's not you signing on the dotted line. That's just you hearing more about what it is. And listen, if you've been here and you're like, I don't know if this church is right for me, that's fine. Just let us know so that we can help you find a good, healthy church. And we will work hard to get you connected somewhere because you, as a follower of Jesus, need to be connected somewhere. Now, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I just want to say we are thrilled that you're with us. And what I want to invite you to do over this next season of our church life is just to step in and watch. Just observe. Be a part. Probably the way that you envision your life and the story that you're living out of and the way you view money and sex and work and hobbies and all that is different than how we do in some ways. And we would love just to have you explore that with us and wrestle with us and ask questions. And maybe, just maybe, you're going to get captivated by what Jesus is doing inside of his church. And so we just want to invite you along. You don't have to believe like we do. You don't have to act like we do. Just jump on in and you are more than welcome. Wrestle with us as we wrestle with the claims of Jesus.